0: you're listening to the positive self-storyteller podcast if you would like to rebuild your confidence and self-belief go to www.positiveselfstoryteller.com and start your new journey of positivity now let's turn the page Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Positive Self Storyteller podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and today I'm joined with someone I'm so proud to be uh, joined with. Uh, he is a creative resilience coach from Edinburgh, Scotland. His name is Cameron Murdoch. Did I say that right?
1: You did indeed.
0: Oh, excellent. Okay, just first and foremost, thank you ever so much for uh, being on this platform and delivering a message and a story, you know, so thank you first and foremost.
1: Thank you for having me, and also thank you for the listeners. I love being part of something. So
0: ah, there we go. Good, good, good. Yeah, uh, you day been all right today? You said we opened discuss discussion.
1: Uh, yeah, I've uh, just family things and uh, work, um, and I'm still in isolation, which is the biggest part of my life at the moment. Is just being in the same flat in the same four walls all the time.
0: Yeah, and again, you know, some people are str- struggling with that, you know, um, physically, uh, but more mentally. Being in the same four walls and doing the same things over and over again, there's only so much, you know, TV and uh, uh, books and anything else you can read and watch, right? So,
1: I'm I'm managing fine. It's more my partner I feel sorry for.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. I get that. Uh, so, you know, today's sort of topic and what I would st- reason why I got you on here was about resilience. how some people are extremely resilient through exceptional um, adversity in their life and you know having a brief discussion with you beforehand can you just um, start off by just telling you know the the listeners you know who you are what you do and then um, just go into a little bit of you know how you got into that sort of thing.
1: Um, Well as you've said I'm Cameron Murdoch and I'm a creative resilience coach but that title means probably nothing to many people and then um, it didn't mean much to me either because it's only recently i've decided to settle on that as a as a job um, i just i love connecting with people and i love coaching as in helping people to develop and achieve their goals but the reason i call myself a creative resilience coach is because i help people also to develop their resilience and um, through a very creative method and creative thinking um, because for me doesn 't matter what challenge you face in life or goal you have to achieve, the more resilient you are, the better it is for you, and the more successful you could be at living the life you want to live
0: yeah, I think that's uh, extremely important too you know to to figure out the life that you should you're born to live. you know not many people do that, not many people find you know why they're, why they 're here so and again you know it's um it's a true uh you know it's uh, a credit really to yourself to find that
1: well I'm, i'm a true believer that we're not none of us are born into our life i think some of us do and some of us don't but i think the crucial thing is that we can create the life we want we can design the life we want um but it takes time
0: yeah it does and like i know some people are a victim of the circumstances and um i get that too like You know, not to air caution what I'm going to say, but um, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, where I'm from and, you know, from other parts of the world who uh, have been a victim to their upbringing and their environment, for one, as well. And maybe they just didn't have someone there to bring them through or they didn't have the the knowledge or the, you know, not so much foresight, but didn't have the know-how, really, of how to gather themselves and rise up from what could be a better life for them you know
1: yeah and also the kind of my story I'm going to tell tonight isn't to make people look at their own life and um, maybe have comparisons between me and them because that's not why I'm doing it but I too when I was younger I used to be a a victim to circumstance in my life because I'm a true believer that you know if you go to the gym because you want to build a muscle so Mm -hmm. you go to the you use the weights and the you then stop using the weights. You'll go home. Your legs or muscles will be sore, and then they'll heal, and then you'll go back to the gym. And it's through that repetition that your muscle gets bigger. Yeah, and I do believe that that's how resilience work. When I was younger, my resilience wasn't that strong. The muscle hadn't been developed. But throughout my life, I now have a strong resilience. But actually, I have it because I've had so many challenges. So it's a uh, it's kind of irony because I needed those challenges to build the resilience. And that's why I used to see myself as being a victim, but now I see myself as a thriver and just dealing with everything that's set to challenge.
0: And, and what a positive message to, to deliver as well. So, you know, you, just going back you know, on that, uh, you say you, you're a victim of stuff. Can you just talk a little bit about that and you know what yeah. some of the stuff in the adversity you went through growing up and whatnot?
1: Um, I'll try to keep this part short. No, it's fine. You
0: f- feel free to just <laughs> wax lyrical. It's all good. It's all good.
1: Okay, so I'll tell a little story. I mean, that's one thing. I love stories. I used to say to my mum all the time, tell my story.
0: Um, well, this is what you're on here. It's the Positive Self Storyteller podcast. So, yeah, you go ahead. Go. So, um,
1: my story is, so, I'm now 44, but um, I'm living in Edinburgh, but I actually grew up and was born in a small fishing village in the very north of Scotland called Portsoy which had maybe about 700 um, villagers, um, and beautiful place, picturesque, it now has a really famous boats festival every year, but back then it was just a very quiet village, um, and for the first 17 years of my life, everybody thought we were a model family, that you know, my mum and dad were brilliant, we were good kids. We, we would go around to people's houses and I would never misbehave. I was the model child. I would sit quietly in a corner in someone else's house and behave myself. And everybody thought that was wonderful. And I still get compliments today from maybe old school friends who meet me for a, you know the first time in ages. And they'll say, well, you were a really good, dedicated, you know, quiet kid. And, <laughs> but what they didn't realize was I was petrified. Because for the first 17 years of my life, I was abused by my dad. Um, really badly in many different ways. I'm saying I was abused by my dad, so was my mom, so was one of my brothers. Um, And as a child, it wasn't just once or twice, it was daily trauma. And I'm a believer that if you suffer trauma in an accident, you know, it it can be one big accident that causes it, or it could be smaller events happening every day over a long period of time, and that's the latter that I experienced. so my father would abuse ranged from, you know, always getting hit over the head to my mum getting beaten up, would be chucked out of our house, would have to walk, you know, walk the streets homeless. Um, and I can remember being about three or four and being that situation. And and then I can also remember being 17 and my brother was out um, and my dad who was an alcoholic. So he didn't just he wasn't, I hope in hindsight, he wasn't just. Nasty, totally. Part of it was related to the drink. Um, And one night he tried to suffocate me with a pillow. And that was the night that my mom grabbed me and we ran out of the house. The next day my mom filed for divorce and we never went back and that's when I was 17. So that to me was using resilience every day. And it's funny because I use this now in my coaching style, but even as a kid, I think I remember back and I created this technique, I'll call it that now, but it wasn't. It was just a survival tool yeah. um, where I would connect to an issue like the abuse, but I would reset myself, and then I would create something new. But I did it to the level that abuse would happen that night. I would go to bed crying, but I remember thinking to myself, I need to get through tonight. Tomorrow's a different day. I would reset myself during sleep. I would then wake up the next morning, and would be ready to take another day with more abuse.
0: How do, you, so, how do you do that? How do you reset yourself? Like, what do you, what do you have inside of you to do that? Like, what, like, what do you feel when you do as, that?
1: Even as a young adult child, I remember thinking, I can't manage to cope with all this baggage because we're talking, you know, 365 days a year for 17 years is a lot of days. And I remember, yeah. quite, I remember early on in that journey thinking, I can't carry this baggage on my back because I was carrying days and days and days of worth of abuse and I just thought, I can't deal with this. Um, and I remember one night hearing my mom getting abused downstairs in the house and I was upstairs lying on the bedroom floor with my head to the floorboards listening to my mum getting beat up, thinking, I mean, my mom was my angel, my kind of my sister, my best friend, and I remember thinking, she might not be there in the morning when I waking up. And although I did rely on my mom, um, and I believed she would always be there. But as a child, part of my then thought, well, if my mom's taken away from me, I need to learn how to look after myself. And not so much as a child, but maybe when I was about 12, 13, I remember thinking, well, my dad can hurt many parts of me, but he can't hurt my soul. And I remember consciously then locking myself, my, locking my soul away. Um, and that's how I even viewed it at the time, that I thought he can do anything he wants to be, but my soul will be kept. And it's funny because as I grew up, even when I was in my 20s and 30s, my soul was still locked away. And so was some of the pain. And it was only in my 30s when looking back, I started to deal with it. But thankfully, my soul did come back. Um, and that's that was my first experience of resilience. And we can come back to that. But the next stage of my journey was, when I was going through the abuse as a child, music was my saviour. It was my escapism.
0: And it is so for many st- people too. Sorry, it is like, in, like some people say, it, like it's just it can put you in a different mood set, can it?
1: Like it truly, did. and I know people can experience that in different ways, like writing poetry, or artwork, or painting. It, it's it's a form of just going away to a different plane.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I would hours would pass by, so I. Quite often, even directly just after the abuse or the shouting or whatever, I'd go through to the piano and play. And sometimes, even when he was shouting, I'd just play it to try and take his voice away. Um, and I loved the music and it became my friend because although I'm chatting to you just tonight and although I have a dark sense of humor and I like to have a laugh, <laughs> back, then, back then I very rarely talked because I was very quiet. So back then I did most of my talking through the piano, through the wooden instrument. Um, And thankfully, when my mum and dad got divorced when I was 17, that was the best day of my life at that point, I thought. And then I could go away because my mum was safe. So I knew I wouldn't have to protect her anymore and she wouldn't have to protect me. So I went off to study as a concert pianist. So I did eight years study in total, did my performer's degree, teaching diplomas, performing diplomas, various things. Um, And that's what I did for many years. I loved music. I loved performing. Um, but then when I was 31 going 32, I found out that I had um, kidney cancer. Um, and that's normally, I mean, this is worse, I think, but children normally get kidney cancer or um, older people. Very rarely is it someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, but the same kind of two months I was diagnosed with kidney cancer, my mum officially was diagnosed with breast cancer. And not my dad, but my, my father figure in life, the person that I really wanted to be my dad, but he wasn't, he was a friend. Um, he died of cancer-related as well and a stroke. So within the kind of two months, I had my mum with breast cancer, my, my father figure dying, and then I was diagnosed with a kidney cancer. Um, got the kidney operation on the 8th of April at 11 o'clock in the morning. That's lodged in my brain for eternity. Um, and I woke up from the operation paralysed from the neck down because the operation had went slightly wrong, which had caused a stroke, um, so I ended up paralysed. So that ended my music career because I couldn't even hold a fork, a fork let alone play a sonata or a concerto. Um, So I then was put into Ashley Ainsley Hospital in Edinburgh. For anybody that knows Edinburgh, it's a really, really good rehab hospital. It's part of the NHS. And I was in there for many months just learning how to to walk, to eat, to make my bed, to do everything again. But even then, the story I always tell, tenacity and resilience was still there because at that point I was in a wheelchair, couldn't move, apart from my right hand and my mouth. And everybody else in the ward wouldn't make their bed because the nurses would. But I decided to make my bed, so every morning in the wheelchair, with my right foot, my right hand, and my mouth, I made my bed very crisply. All the sheets curled down better than the nurses, you know, were doing. And to me, that's, that's maybe all I achieved some days. But to me, that was fantastic. Um, so
0: just, and, just, just, to st- just, <laughs> I, <laughs> wow! I, just for you know, for the listeners and you know, other people really. Uh, you know, I know your your story is still going to go on, you, and it's going to not say get better, but it's going to be more insightful. But if people d- don't get inspired from what you said, then there's something wrong. Do you know what I mean?
1: And, well, not, maybe they just don't like making beds.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. A lot of people don't actually. You know, a lot of people don't. Uh, but no, it's just the, the the fact that you know your your dad wasn't a father figure to you alcoholic and you know you had a horrendous upbringing and you know when you finally decide that you can leave your mother in a safe place you go off and you know be a penis and do what you got to do yeah for for, for a lot of people you know just that whole abuse in their life is enough to break someone you know and then and it it does a lot of people oh and it does yeah I, i can believe it and for then for you then to be diagnosed with cancer and then still you know keep going then it's just it's just fucking remarkable
1: I think part of it for me I mean does go back to my mum because my mom always instilled this I mean she was a lovely person very strong I mean she put up with my dad's abuse I did for 17 years but she put up with, with the abuse for about 25 years before she um, got divorced
0: and, is, is, that where and you so- get her, is that where you get it from you think you think your resilience comes from your mother
1: Yes, because she brought me up, and I mean, even though, so I I always, the way I explain it is, I I was brought up in this contradiction um, of terms, if that's the best way to say it, I'll make it simpler. It felt like I was being brought up by Hitler and Mother Teresa, Teresa, both in the same house. (laughs) Okay, okay. And my father was exceptionally abusive, would have loved to have euthanized, but on the other hand, my mom (sighs) did everything she could to make sure I lived. But not only that, she made sure that my soul was protected and that when the soul did come out, she helped to reintegrate that soul back into my body. And I'm not talking religiously. I'm, I mean, just my essence. Yeah. Um, and she had this. She was tenacious as well and courageous, which we'll touch upon later. But she has inspired me and did inspire me my entire life. So, yes, I, I think part of it was my mom. Part of it was my next brother up. I'm the baby in the family. I have three other brothers. Okay. And my next brother-up and me were very close. And it's hard to explain, but... So there was this larger family of my mum and dad and me and my brothers. But within that, my mum and me and my next brother-up created this small triangle to try and survive all the abuse because we were younger. My other brothers were older, so they didn't have to endure it.
0: Anything you can do. Anything you could do to survive, right?
1: Exactly. And yeah. I remember... I mean, humor's a big thing. Um, for a lot of mums out there and dads listening they use humour a lot with their kids now yeah, we're, talking yeah. the late, we're talking in the late 70s early 80s I remember a big fight happening again my dad was abusive but he was drunk so he fell asleep eventually and I remember my mum going through the bedroom and coming back through with her t-shirt on with her bra on top of her t-shirt and as <laughs> a 6-7 year old I was like mum what are you doing and it was trying to make us laugh straight after a fight because she didn't want us to be hurting for hours. My mom tried to then go straight into healing us, you know, after something had happened.
0: Your mom and sounds like, your mom sounds like a, sounded like an amazing woman.
1: She was an amazing, remarkable woman yeah. who was so, happy, but she never realised how good she was. Yeah. And to set it into context, we are talking about the late seventies and early eighties. I remember as a child, maybe about sevenish during a. An abusive argument, running to the phone as a seven-year-old and phoning the police. And the police came to the house, they heard the shouting. When my mom opened the door and they saw it was domestic violence, they walked away and drove off. We're talking in the late 70s when it was okay for domestic violence to happen, it was okay for women to be abused and children to be abused. Um, Then it wasn't seen as a legal matter.
0: Oh, what a a, a way to live back then, you know. (laughs) But um, but actually,
1: the, I'm saying this, but there's a lot of beauty as well. I grew up with a lot of laughs, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, so going back, so after the, um, the stroke and the cancer and I was yeah. in a wheelchair,
0: Okay.
1: I, um, eventually when I was out the wheelchair and I managed to get back onto crutches and I couldn't go back to music, but I carried on working. So I worked in a few different universities in Edinburgh Um, worked my way up to become director level and thought that was going to be my career in my life. Um, But then a few years ago, I started to get ill again. Nobody could really work out why. Um, And then about two and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, um, which has since spread. But the funny part, well, the ironic funny part is that a few months after I was diagnosed with a pancreatic cancer, my mom was diagnosed with a hernia, which was a wrong diagnosis. What it turned out to be is my mom actually had terminal bowel cancer and um, stomach cancer. Um, so both times me and my mom shared the journey of cancer together, you know, way back when I was 32 and she had breast cancer and I had kidney. And then two years ago when I had pancreatic cancer and she had stomach and bowel. And um I then went up north and in effect, instead of having her for a while, we only had her for about three weeks. But I nursed her for that last three weeks because we couldn't get any McMillan or Margaret Marie Curie nurses. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> and it's a, I did because <laughs> me and my mum had such a relationship that we used to talk about, yes, the abuse, but then once we healed, we would talk about life and music and my work and her life and past. But we talk about sex and everything. We had such an open relationship. There was nothing that my mom and me hadn't spoken about. So when she was told she was terminal, I remember sitting in the hospital when she was told by the specialist, you've got about three weeks to live. And she, she we were both crying, naturally. But she didn't say to the specialist, what about me? What she actually said to the specialist was, okay, but what about my boys? Now at this point, her boys was 42, and you know, a lot older than that, but yet she was still only worried about her boys, not about her.
0: You always will be, though. You're always going to be a baby, isn't you? You know. Yeah.
1: But yeah. in that last few weeks, because we didn't have to talk about anything, I then what I say is we did something even deeper. I just sat for three weeks, twenty-four hours, every minute for three weeks, held her hand, and I listened, and we both listened to our voices, our breath. Her skin, I can still picture the wrinkles in her hand, the wrinkles on her face. We laughed and she actually laughed up until the day before she died um, because that's the kind of woman she accepted death with so much grace and dignity um, and was laughing up until the the day she died. Um, And I see it as a gift because now that I'm still going through the pancreatic cancer, which last year the chemotherapy didn't work, so I'm now on immunotherapy, I'm not scared of dying. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to die, but I'm not scared of dying. Because what my mum taught me was, don't be scared of dying, because it happens to us all. Be scared of not living.
0: Yeah, and message, now, great message.
1: And so that's now what I'm doing is, I'm just living my life day to day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic message. Be scared to not live. And I, I don't know where to start, really, with all this. <laughs> the final
1: thing that I put into context with yep. my dad's life is that i'm gay so okay. in a small little official village where i couldn't be myself because i was scared to tell people i was gay so i had to act as well as hide it from my dad so i wasn't authentic i thought um so actually yeah so i had to also deal with the fact that i couldn't accept my sexuality i knew my dad couldn't and um, so i had to hide that part of me as well whilst my dad was was Abusive, and he would quite often call my names like I hate saying this, but he would call my things like poof or stupid. Yeah, Uh, and then I was also dyslexic, so he used to call me, you know, stupid and a dunce and all these terms that I hate. But throughout all that, I strangely see it as a gift because he created a fighter out of me in a different sense. I never hurt anybody, but he created this fight in me to survive anything.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. You know, I think that's what a lot of people don't realise is that when you have a parent or, you know, a, a parental figure or someone you look up to and they let you down, well, they, they may have let you down, but they've also given you something. They've given you the insight or the foresight into, to not model yourself that way or to not... You know, for example, um, like you said, uh, your father was alcoholic. So you know, as you grow up and you're looking for uh, in a relationship, you know now not what not not to look for. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like uh, all the all the qualities, the opposite qualities of ba- you know all the good qualities are all the bad but qualities because you've seen it all.
1: What you're saying is exactly true. And I remember as a child, and a lot of my life, actually saying to myself in my head consciously. Um, well, you can do anything you want to me, but you won't break me. But also I remember thinking, plus, I'm going to be everything you're not. Yeah, that's so Yeah. He, he used to drink, he used to smoke, he didn't care for people. Well, that's how it seemed. And therefore I would do everything I could to be the completely the opposite of he was. Um, but actually that, in in hindsight, was also a bit destructive because it, it was affecting my authenticity. Um, but nevertheless, it was a great tool to survive
0: oh yeah it's it's almost you know when you say role model He was a role model for everything you didn't want to be exactly you know? and and some people take that as in you know oh look at the look at the rough life i had poor me or they take it as in look at the rough life i've had i'm not going to model that you know i've got it's, the blueprint but, not to not yes. to walk those footsteps
1: but strangely there's some people like me that look at all that and think wow i've had such a rich life to learn
0: from Well, what a way to look. And credit to you, Cameron. Credit to you. You know, just... I will touch upon uh, (laughs) everything you said. I just want to talk about... Go back quickly to being a um, a pianist. Yeah. And... uh, Did you always have a love for music? Like, was that distilled in you from, like, your your parents or your brothers or
1: Um, grandparents? There was was always a love for music in the, the family. Um, my mum played the piano. I mean, she would say this herself, a little bit of piano with one hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so not a lot. How it started was my next brother up learned to play the tuba, but he needed a second instrument. So my mum and dad bought a piano, um, but actually he didn't like the piano. And at about the age of six, I said to my mum, well, rather than get rid of the piano, can I get a lesson? Can I get a lesson? And I nagged at my mum so much <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: until I was allowed to get piano lessons. Uh, and that's how it started. But actually, that does link into my mum again, because in some ways, she obviously knew the effects that an abusive relationship would, could have on her children. So she used to encourage me so much with the piano that she would actually come to the piano lessons with me. And not, I hate saying this, but some parents, it might appear sometimes that they nag. But my mum, as a, as a child, never nagged. She just came along. And she sat and listened to every single piano lesson I had. I mean, for eleven years, she came to every single piano lesson. Wow! And it was dedication, but, but equally, in hindsight, it was all her, it was her escapism because it was her time out of the house and away from the abuse.
0: Of course. So, so playing the piano was you played for since you were seventeen, right?
1: Yeah, uh, for play, so I so yeah, I, um, performance style was seventeen onwards um until i was 32.
0: okay so you're so you're, you know from 17 years old um you know you're in the later teen the later part of your teens this is something you wanted to do this is a goal you wanted to achieve Passionly. in life yeah passionately m- m-
1: music was my li- music was my it sounds like the song but music was my life well yeah
0: <laughs> and, and that's your goal but then unfortunately you got diagnosed with cancer and you had a stroke through through that which then enabled you then not to play the piano and you had to sort of relearn everything again so what does that do to you when you know now that the goal you had for your life is no longer achievable
1: um if you had asked me that question the day after i realized i was paralyzed i would have been heart sorry for myself like Mm -hmm. anybody would because music to me wasn't just a vocation or a career or a profession but it was my voice because i'd been i'd grown up in a house by my dad where i couldn't talk where yeah. i, I could not voice my opinion because i would have been shot down so instead i communicated my feelings my anger but my happiness and, and everything through the music and mm-hmm. um, and for 20 26 years before i had the stroke that was my voice and um, so it would be a bit like anybody, and I used to think of it like this it could be someone who can speak, and then suddenly their vocal cords stop working after yeah. 26 years. Yeah, and that
0: definitely. is like, you no, know, I so I mean, yeah, I get that, I totally get that.
1: So it, well, it was a shock, however, because of my resilience at the time, I thought, well, I'm not going to worry about this just now, so I didn't focus on that, I focused on my body because I had to learn. How to feel the nerves in my fingers and my toes, and that kind of rehabilitation is where you have to really consciously focus on every nerve in the body to get it to work again. You know, the, the you know the face, the neck, the the breathing, everything you've got to concentrate on. Um, but in hindsight, a slight diversion. But in hindsight, that was a gift because. How many people in life get to reset themselves you know all that habits and things you might do automatically
0: all the bad habits you got like driving right (laughs) yeah
1: bad habits died in one day
0: yeah okay.
1: okay i couldn't do them anymore so i had to learn new habits but better stronger habits and i and therefore that was a gift for me um but when it came to the music it did hurt um but I've I've always been creative so what I did do was I just tried and I turned to other forms of creativity yeah hence why I eventually went into coaching because to me that's creative because you're coaching to help other people think differently to change their mindsets which yeah. I changed my mindset and um, but one thing I don't know if I told you but um a f- about a few years ago when I was diagnosed with a pancreatic cancer um I watch lots of YouTube videos and I re-taught myself. So I'm a, a, a jeweler, jewelry designer, and silversmith, and completely self-taught. I have a studio in Leith. So I turned my music into jewelry. And now you speak and through your jewelry. I speak through my jewelry, but <laughs> in the last few years, I'm very determined. So I am back playing again. But Are you, oh, what
0: congratulations
1: same, so my, my two hands work but I haven't got the, the I haven't part of my hand is um so on my left hand three of the fingers are dead I can't feel them at all
0: okay
1: um but I can still move them so I'll, I'll never be a a, a a professional concert pianist again but I've just changed my mindset now I play for a little bit of fun and exercise and my dream is to eventually perform again but albeit in my new capabilities um, and try and use music in some way to promote resilience. Because I think the fact that I've went from being a musician to a non-musician and back to playing for fun is a good way to demonstrate that actually resilience is to do with the mind. But actually, it can also be very much about the body and how the body can change and heal.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I think I've said this time and time again. The body and mind are so intertwined you know like i i said before if you've got a if you've got a negative mind then just change your body you know and if you've got a negative body then just change your mind you know and i just think they work hand in hand so from you you know to say you know like abuse cancer stroke not being a pianist and now eventually coming out the other side uh and learning to do a new skill and a new art form and again playing the the piano again. It's just truly remarkable. It's truly remarkable.
1: I I I think the way I coped, apart from resilience, the way I coped was I saw it as each part of my life, wasn't as drastic as this, but I, I saw it that each part of my life died and then I was kind of given the chance to start again. So, you know, I was... child but then i had to restart into a musician and then i restarted into an office worker and then i restarted into a a jeweler and then i restarted into coaching and back to music a bit and i've had many how i say to people is i've had many different lives but do you know when a computer updates, or you do an update on your phone and it goes from 2.1 to 2.2?
0: <laughs> Too bad, yeah.
1: It's my life. So I'm about 10.1 at the moment. <laughs> but a long way to go. There's still more updates to happen.
0: Oh, well, I, I think some people would crave for an update. Some people are just stuck. They just can't go past version you know, 1.0, you know?
1: And I think that's one thing, is going through many challenges has increased my resilience muscle. Oh, yeah. But it's also made me, I'm not scared of change, because I've had so much change in my life. Now I'm quite relaxed about change. Um, in fact, I'm probably, I'd probably be scared of no change. No change. Because I'm
0: really, <laughs> I was going to say, it's, every, it's a part of your life, no? Everyday walk of life, having a change, right? So, you know, if you, if someone was going through all this, you know, they lost their goal, they, you know, they've got cancer, They you know, they've been diagnosed with cancer, or they've had loss, what would you say to someone now who's, Feeling rock bottom or listening to this, and how do they get through it?
1: Firstly, don't pretend it doesn't exist. I think, firstly, connect it. Um, A lot of time, I hear of people, and I've done it in the past myself, you try to shut it out, you try to pretend it's not happening, you um, don't acknowledge it. I'm a true believer that it's better to acknowledge it and to face it for two reasons. If a sailor's at sea, and the captain of the ship's facing a storm, you know, to survive the storm, the captain doesn't turn the ship to its side. The captain faces the boat right into the storm so it can ride the waves. And that is the the best way to ride a storm is by facing it. But secondly, I'm a true believer that if you acknowledge there's a problem and and you say the words, which isn't easy to do at the beginning, but about, you know, I'm, I'm being abused. And that, I couldn't say that for many years after the abuse, but
0: yeah. it's
1: cancer as well. I've got cancer, whatever it is. By labeling it, that destroys some of the hold it has over you. It, oh, stops, yeah. it, it stops it being as big because you're acknowledging it exists. What I'd also say is believe in yourself and that might be difficult. So look inside. Look at all the times you have survived and, you, and you've and you come out to that situation. Realize that you are still here because of your tenacity. But also don't give up hope because one thing we know in life, and I'm a true believer in looking at nature, when a storm comes, at the end of the storm, it doesn't matter if you've been there a day or 10 years, at the end of the storm, there's a rainbow somewhere. Mm. And I truly believe that, that with any storm in life, with any challenge, there'll come a time, whether it's now or down the line, that things will get better. And therefore, don't give up hope, because I think that is crucial that we try and move forward. Um, But also, use your friends, use your family, don't sit in silence, try to make connections, try to make sure you've got the support behind you to get the the energy, but also get the, the strength to to move forward um, yeah. and don't do isolated
0: yeah i would agree with everything you've just said you know owning up to your stuff is so important to acknowledge it but once you've acknowledged it don't feed it do you know what yeah. i mean like just accept that you know that's happened to you you know it doesn't you know in my last podcast it was all about trauma and the guy I had on it, Derek, his saying was great, is that, uh, you know, you, you were not what happened to you and what happened to you was not your fault. And you just got to, you know, just, there's an analogy again, you know, you, there's a feather and you've got a balloon and you just sort of like just stroke that, you know, and then it's just gone and it, you wouldn't, it's there, you acknowledge it, then you just got to move on for it. Otherwise it's going to take a hold of you. It's going to eat you from the inside out. You know? And
1: what you're saying is one of my beliefs. I mean, one of my beliefs is, it would be quite easy to stay in the past. You know, think about tomorrow, yesterday and last year and 10 years. But I'm a true believer. The more you stay in the past, the less you'll spend in
0: the future. Yeah, yeah. You won't ever, you'll never move forward. You'll just stay where you are. You'll just stay stagnant. Yeah. You'll, you'll not, Like you say, you'll never have no personal growth. You'll never have any fulfillment in life, no enjoyment. Uh, and what is that then for the people around you, the people who love yeah. you, the people you love, and, you know, you've got to, you've just got and to it fight does, it, you know,
1: like, like you Sometimes, been. I mean, it takes courage and strength to deal with an issue sometimes, and sometimes, actually, we've all, well, a lot of us have been there, you don't have that courage and strength no, to deal you with. No, you don't,
0: you don't, not at that time, and, I'm, like, I, no. I, I didn't have it when I went through, before I could deal with my, um, my abuse, when I was groomed, I couldn't deal with it for 15 years, I just didn't, my unconscious... Just didn't have it in me to say, Okay, now you're going to do it. I just didn't have it until I was ready and I had support and the love from the people around me. Then it said, Right, now you've got to deal with it. And I dealt with it, you know, and I've, and I've dealt with it like, and like, same with, with you. And, and so you're so right, you know, it is it's a hard one, but you just got to dig deep. You've got to dig deep every day. It, it,
1: a lot of it's to do with part of the, the, Courageousness, part of the tool to survive, as well as is, is expectations, not being too hard, not being too hard on yourself, not not trying to set yourself up for a fall, not being a perfectionist, but equally, not um not comparing yourself to other people. Because if you're ill, or if you're going through trauma, and all you're doing is comparing yourself to other people, that's going to lower your confidence, or or abilities, or inner belief even more. Because quite often we will compare ourselves to someone who is successful. Against us, so you're not comparing equally, so you're already setting yourself up. <laughs> you
0: are, you are massively like, and again, you know, we talk about res- just on that point resilience and uh, illness for better words, you know, and comparing yourself. Like, my wife, like I say, goes through so much crap every day, she's been belt- dealt a really shitty hand, like a lot of people in this world, but goddamn, is she resilient. You know, to just to get out of bed and to be with our child and to show love and support for everything I go through and so on and so forth. And with yourself too. It's the, when you are thrown adversity, the people who are it's just, it's just remarkable how if you don't think you can get through it, you can actually get through it. And again, not manage your expect managing your expectations is so important in life. So important in life.
1: And and I say that because some people might think So, for instance, I can get a pain attack now with a cancer that can last maybe two or three hours, but I can get a pain attack that could last days. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm on the strongest medication I can be on, so nothing really takes away from the pain. And some people say to me, so what do you do to get through it? But one thing I've realized is some things in life you can fight against it, and you can refocus your mind on other things. Some some things in life you can't. I mean, sometimes all you can do with abuse or trauma or cancer or illness is just say, "This is how it is. This is the pain I'm feeling today." But I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. I acknowledge it, but tomorrow might be better.
0: Yeah, and and some of that, and even just the slight acknowledgement, and just sitting with it. Yeah, it's it's not. I'm not going to say it's going to make it better. You know, you know, it's going to relieve the pain, but mentally it might do something for you in a positive light they might be okay i've got it it happened as opposed to okay i got to get rid of this pain like i, I gotta fight it just don't fight it it's gonna be there regardless it's something you can't control so why are you giving so much energy towards it
1: but it's funny because i think as a child that what you've said is is really really true because as a child some days i didn't fight the abuse i let it happen not because i was weak but because I wasn't going to exert all my energy to stop something from happening that was going to happen anyway
0: inevitable, yeah, I know I know and again, I know I talk about my wife and thing you know she she's going to be in pain pretty much uh, every day, not all day, but pretty much every day. Yeah. And she says, "Well, I can either stay in bed in pain or I can get up and be in pain." So again, it's about that mindset. You know, either you can do stuff with your family, and you know, look to take on. She doing wants to do a cake business, and she goes to work, or she can just stay in bed. But regardless, she's still going to be in pain.
1: And I hate saying it because I know there's people listening to this, and at home, and in life, that that feel they can't go out or can't do the things they want to do. Yeah. But what you're saying, I do believe life is, is is still you can still live a life, even when you're going through all this. Now, it might not be the life you want to live. It might not be the life you wanted to have, but you can still have a life in some form. And it's funny, my mom, just before she died, said to me, she didn't say what some people have said to me in the past, which was, you know, you're gonna have an amazing life. You'll be so successful. What my mom actually said to me just before she died was, firstly, she loved me to the moon and back. And secondly, Try try and have the best life you can have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't saying strive for you know everything. What my mom was basically saying was just try and have the best life you can have. So no don't raise your expectations too high, don't raise them too low, but just try and have the best life you can because my mom truly understood that everybody's different and sometimes life is what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a shame she's not still here because she she, would, she sounds like she would do wonders for the world.
1: She is, and she'd make a very interesting podcast person
0: for years as well. <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. Uh, you know, this has it's been a brilliant chat with you, you know, and a fantastic, insightful, inspiring, inspirational uh, talk. Just lastly, really, before, before we sign off, you say you're coaching now. Yes. So how is that going for you? Or what are you, you know, what are you doing there? Um,
1: I obviously, I'm very wary of my energy levels going through the cancer and the treatment. So I, I do coach um, but I make sure that it's not um you know, too too much for me. So I'm coaching a few clients um a few week, you know, once a week, once every few weeks. Um Good. uh and just to help them achieve the life they want. But I'm also doing a little bit of jewelry making, a little bit of playing the piano and um living the best life I can
0: uh, <laughs> yeah and that's all we can do right that's all we that's all we can strive for really and don't man, And don't and manage those expectations as well
1: yeah but just thank you so much um, no, no, and it's great. If anybody listening to your podcast wants to get in touch with you or wants to get in touch with me I'm more than happy because one thing I do do nowadays is motivational speaking and that's because fundamentally I want to help other people I want to help people with cancer to realize they can get through it i want to realize that people with abuse can get through it or people with paralysis can learn i mean if i can get through all these things anybody can because and i'm not dining myself but i'm not anybody special all 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 the things like but what i have learned is just probably what tools to use
0: yeah and and again that's it really it's not you know you're not saying anything revolutionary it's just that you've been through a world of shit and you've come out the other end in a positive way and you know why not deliver that story so someone then can relate to that message so if somebody does want to find you on any platform where can they where can they get at you where can they find you
1: um well i'm on linkedin um as cameron murdrich um i'm happy for you to share my email address somewhere on your podcast details yeah and people can drop my email um but yeah, I'm quite happy to chat to anybody because I'm an, I'm a believer as well that humans we weren't we haven't evolved to be solitary, we've evolved to connect, and it's through that connection, um, that we will grow and discover and help each other.
0: You know what? That's a, I, I will leave it on that message, which is a beautiful message to finish. You know, thank you ever so much, Cameron, for being here and taking part in. Uh, on my podcast and this platform and thanks to the listeners again for listening to another episode of positive self storyteller podcast again if you would like to leave a message or a comment or share with anyone who you think may need to hear today's message or any other messages come before and also if you have a message of positivity and a story then please get in touch with me at positive self storyteller at gmail.com and you can also find me on my facebook on my Instagram just type in positive self storyteller so thanks again Cameron for everything you said today I hope no. life works out for you the way that you want it to work out and you envision and my
1: pleasure and I hope things work out for you too and I hope your listeners are equally going through um a good day and a good week
0: yeah most definitely uh thanks again and I will see you all on the next chapter